We're going to diverge a little bit from our study in the Sermon on the Mount, looking at Mark 4, verses 35 through 41, where Jesus calms a great storm that the disciples find themselves in. And um, choosing this passage instead of our, our, our series for a couple of reasons. One is just selfishly, this speaks to me so much, this passage right now. And uh, so I'm preaching to myself and kind of got a sermon selfishly for myself, and I'm hoping it applies to you uh, as well. Jesus calming the storm. Uh, let's, let's read together. On the day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. We live in a broken, fallen world. And whether you follow Christianity or not, I think you would agree with that. This is a place that's not safe. There's death, there's disease, there's divorce, there's depression, there's sadness, there's, there are so many things that war against us, and you don't have to share my worldview to agree with that. This is a broken and difficult place. And if there's one thing you can count on in this life, is that storms will come to you. Storms are going to come your way. And I hope you know and realize, and it's not to make us sad, but just to be realistic and to live with faith in the midst of it, is this. Storms will come your way, and that you're really, you're only one letter in the mail away from having your life utterly, completely changed and thrown upside down. One letter, one email, one phone call, one visit from somebody, one word from somebody's mouth, one phrase, you have cancer. It's terminal. I want a divorce. I hate you. I don't want you in my life anymore. This happened. That happened. And your life can be upended and you can find yourself in a storm overnight. Becky and I, for the last three weeks or so, have been in a storm. And the storm was already kind of gathering steam and the wind was blowing and there's lightning and fierce rain and then on March 17th, with a, a storm already kind of brewing in our lives, and I, I got a phone call on my phone, and it was from a, in, the, in, the, in the morning, and I, I see that it's from Asheville, North Carolina, and I don't recognize the number, but because it was from Asheville, where my in-laws live, I picked it up, and it's the pastor of my in-laws' church telling me that he's at the hospital, uh, he's with Becky's dad and mom, and that dad has suffered a great, great heart uh, failure and is probably going to die. And then, then the storm that we were in began to rage. 
this dear man that we love, that we have, has been a patriarch to our family, that is the gr- greatest of fathers and the greatest of grandfathers and great-grandfathers, is not only sick, that he's going to die. Becky got on a plane that evening. Um, I waited here and then, and then went to be with the family after he passed. And this was on the heels of maybe the greatest week that I can remember in, in, in years. Uh, I celebrated a birthday. I, I won't tell you how old yet, but uh, I, I celebrated a birthday, and my wife likes to mark big birthdays with huge events, and, and she gathered for me for, as a birthday present my three very best friends from college. One of them came out on an afternoon. I'm having lunch with Pastor Gray, and then I think we're there to gather for this very serious conversation. He lied to me. Pastor Gray lied <laughs> and said, hey, I've got this crisis going. We need to talk, and we get there, and we're looking face-to-face, and I, I'm like ready. I got there early. I'm sitting there, and he gets, sits down. I go, let's get down to it. What's going on? And he goes, let's chat a little bit. And I go, no, I'm here for you. What's going on? Like, It's like, I don't know, I'm just so stressed, I just can't talk about it right this second, so. And then out of the corner of my eye, I literally see the best man at my wedding and one of my best friends in life just coming right at me, just with a bear hug. And I screamed at the hillside spot and (laughs) hugged this man that I love. And then we hang out for a couple hours and we go back to my house and I'm just sitting there and then I hear upstairs the voice with one word, he just said one word in a way that only he could say it, And I knew, the sound of the voice of my other best friend, Dan. And then we were reunited with these two best friends. And there was a third that I hoped maybe was coming, but I thought, "Ah, it can't happen. I haven't seen him in close to 20 years. And then the day, the next day, we're in the backyard. And this man shows up in my backyard. I don't even recognize, who is, what is this guy doing in my backyard? (laughs) I was reunited with my three best friends. We saw a Cubs game together. We went to Sedona. We laughed for four days telling story after story after story, just being together. It was among the best weeks of my entire life. And then this happens. Out of the blue, a storm comes, brews, and just rages against us. And by the way, I want to thank you all for prayers and encouragement. I want to thank you. We have felt your prayers. We have been sustained by them. And I want to thank my amazing team here. I've been gone for for three weeks, and things went really well while I was away. I want to thank the pastors and the elders and the staff. Like, thank you. Thank you so much while I was away. It's a great compliment. And dad, Becky's dad has left us an amazing legacy for which we're thankful. We were able to grieve his his loss, but be thankful for his life, and we continue to covet your prayers. Today in this passage, we find the disciples in a great storm. which caused them to have fear, but because of the person of Jesus, they were moved to an even greater fear, which is really faith. And that's what we're going to talk about today. The the grace of life are inevitable. You cannot get away from it. The ultimate storm is headed your way, whether you like it or not. None of us get out of here alive. There's a day coming, no no matter how young you are or how old, that you, like my father-in-law, will be as cold as he was just weeks ago. And I saw his body, and he looked amazing, you know, and it's amazing what we always say at funerals. Like, it, they did such a good job with a dead man. And he looked great. He did. He looked like himself. But when you put your hand to him, he was as cold as ice. 
And that storm is headed your way. The greatest of storms. And the storms rage and the storms come. And then these disciples, they, they have great fear because Jesus calms their storm and then they have an ultimate fear which gives them strength. And that's what I want us to see today that these disciples in their fear they grow into an ultimate fear of the Lord because they find greater faith in him in the storm. And in this text, there's the word great used three times. It's the word mega in Greek. A great windstorm, a great calm, and then a great fear. They were a little afraid, and then they were led to a great fear after Jesus calmed the storm. Jesus had been preaching from a boat And that evening, it was getting dark, and he said, let's go to the other side, and this whole armada of other boats followed him, and they're going across the Sea of Galilee, which is about eight miles wide and about 13 miles long. It's below sea level, and there's all these hills above it, and so these windstorms blow up there quite a bit, but this one had to be unique, and we know because why. You've got four professional fishermen in the boat, Peter. Andrew, they know how to fish, they know the water, and where did they do their their work? Their professional fishing happened on what body of water? That one. Peter and Andrew, the other fishermen in the boat, are terrified. Water is crashing over the boat. They're taking on water, they're going down, and even these seasoned professional fishermen are terrified, and I, I envision Peter, the one who's the most you know, obstinate, going and running up to Jesus with a question, and today we're going to look at three questions from the, from the story, the narrative, and the first one is this. Do you not care that we're perishing? Except they didn't say it that way. They're taking on water. Uh, they're, they're dying. They, they feel, uh, these professional fishermen are like, we will not survive this. We've been out here before. We know storms, and this is, this is one we're not gonna survive. We get storms here in Arizona, right? And before we moved out here, I kept hearing about the haboobs, right? And the, these, these windstorms, these massive windstorms. You see these pictures, and they're just so ominous and fierce and the dark clouds and you see like the the backdrop of the city of phoenix and there's this storm coming in and i'm like that's that is terrifying you know what's that like and so i've had over the years many friends say to me like you know wow you guys have some legitimate storms out there what's that like And i'm like you know it's really not that bad you know it's like (laughs) your allergies kick up there's a little dust but at the end of the day it's it looks ominous but it's just really really not that bad but you have monsoons right and and when you think like southeast asia and you hear monsoon season like you're thinking howling winds and hurricane like level weather and and my friends back east are like well what about the monsoons i'm like think of your garden variety thunderstorm (laughs) in indiana monsoon (laughs) these guys are used to storms but not this kind of storm not this kind of storm and they, they say, do you not care that we're perishing? And if you're honest, that's the exact same question that you ask the Lord all the time. When the storm that you're not prepared for comes. There's all kinds of storms that we can prepare for. There's all kinds of storms that we think we're ready for. But when the one that comes that you're not prepared for and makes you feel like you're going to die, maybe not physically, but emotionally, spiritually, that you cannot handle it, do you not cry out like the disciples cry out, 
My God, why are you asleep in the back of the boat? Jesus is God. He is also fully a man. He's asleep. And they go and they try to rouse him. And that's how you feel. I know you do in your prayers when you're really suffering in the midst of a great storm. Do you not cry out, what is your problem? Why are you silent to my prayers? Why don't you listen to me? Why are you asleep in the back of the boat when I'm dying over here? Can you be honest enough that you pray, that those are the, whether you pray it out loud in your heart, that's exactly how you feel. Are you being ungodly when you pray that way or you think that way or you cry out in your heart that way? Is that an ungodly emotion? Well, the Bible doesn't seem to think so. Listen to Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you know your Bible well enough and you know the gospel well enough, you go, yeah, but that's a foreshadowing of Jesus when he's on the cross and so... No, but David prayed it originally. The psalmist prayed it originally. And he, like you and me, a real person, a real human being, broken, fallen, sin, sinful, and who at times prays and it feels like the prayers only reach the ceiling and nobody's listening because the storm is raging and there seems to be no relief from it whatsoever. My God, where are you? I planted a church, I've done this, I've done that for you, I'm, you know, I've done this, you know, we, we prosecute the Lord, we tell him all the things that we've done and what we expect. My God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Psalm 42, my tears have been my food day and night. When you do not know how to pray, go to the Psalms. When you're angry, when you're bitter, when you're sad, when you're depressed, when you're in a storm. Psalm 42 has been my prayer for three weeks now. And yet, the psalmist keeps saying, but I will yet praise the Lord. Why so downcast, O my soul? God does allow his children to go through storms and fiery trials. And they're meant to draw us closer to the heart of God. And it's hard for us to see. He ordains them. He, he brings them even. Why? To draw us closer so that when we see his power and his authority over the storm, we then are actually moved to an even greater fear, greater faith, a greater understanding of his character. Tim Keller, quoting and summarizing Jonathan Edwards, has said this many times, our bad things will turn out for good. And that just sounds like platitudes, man. But for the last three weeks, that sounds like nothing but platitudes. Our bad things, they'll turn out for good. But that is what Romans 8.28 says. Our good things can never really be lost and the best things are yet to come. This is what Jonathan Edwards preached constantly Listen, Jesus awoke then. The disciples, they run to the back of the boat and they say, You're, we're dying, like that we're taking on water and you don't care. You're God and we believe in you. We've trusted in you. We're following you. We've done everything for you and you don't care that we're dying. What are you doing? Jesus gets up. He says, peace be still to the sea. And then what happens? 
a great calm. Not just calm, a great calm comes over the sea. Have you been at the ocean when there's just a great calm? Like the day before, perhaps there's these huge surf and waves, and then for so, the next day it's like glass. I've seen that at Rocky Point a couple times. Like, like, just like glass. Jesus takes this raging storm and just says, peace, and it's still. And notice that he doesn't pray to God. He doesn't get on his knees. He doesn't say an incantation. He doesn't pull out some sort of like Harry Potter magic wand and shoot at the... He doesn't need anything else. Why? Because he has the authority to calm the storm. Jesus in himself, he doesn't have to appeal to another deity, he doesn't have to pray, he doesn't have to kneel, he doesn't need any other thing because he himself is God in the flesh and he has the authority and the power to calm the storm and he does so. Next question, first question, why are you letting us perish? Why don't you care? Why are you letting us die? Second is this, why are you so afraid and have you still no faith? Jesus asked the disciples that question. And there's two ways to read this text, and I'm guessing I know how you're reading it. When you've read it before, when you've heard it before, when you heard me just read it, when you hear it right now, and you're hearing anger in Jesus' voice, what you're hearing is this. Why don't you people have faith? Why are you still so afraid? What the heck is wrong with you? What is your, what is your problem? But I'm pleading with you, I don't read it that way. I don't hear it that way. I don't see that's what Jesus is saying. I see him saying to them, like, why, why don't you have faith? Why are you still so afraid? I'm this good. I love you this much. I have this much authority. You are mine. I can calm the storm. If you're his child, if you've confessed your sins, if we have confessed, then what's true of you, the justification by faith that you're saved, that you're known, you're loved, you're accepted, you're adopted, then the, the, the son is saying this with kindness in his voice, and he's saying these storms are meant to expose your fear. And then the Holy Spirit says to you, why are you so afraid? And then when you expose your fear, guess what you're on to? Guess what you're seeing? Guess what you're finding? You're finding what you actually believe in. What your trust is in. All the ways in which you've been creating strategies, as we learned from Dr. Bob Smart, up, up in the, to like not need God to justify yourself, to find peace and comfort in some other thing that only leads to more anxiety and fear and worry. One of the reasons that God allows the storms of life to come is to show us where our true trust is. Storms of life expose our fear, and these fears expose what we're believing in. And the truth is, in our fear, we're not believing in the one who can calm the storm, but he's calling us more and more and more to see how powerful and trustworthy he is. Why am I so worried? Why am I so anxious? After you've cried your, your tears of mourning and after you've yelled at God and said, where are you and why? And you hear his voice say, why are you so afraid? I have the power to calm the storm. Ask these questions. And am I believing that God doesn't have power to help me? Am I believing that God doesn't care for me? Am I believing that my God is dead or asleep? 
Becky and I had this really good friend in Cincinnati, and she was a very cantankerous personality and a strong personality, but she was one of the biggest leaders in our church, and uh, her name was Barb Shaw, just magnanimous personality. People just flocked around her, and she had this great following and just made a big difference in people's lives. And, and then Barb had a storm come and was told, you have cancer. We need to do some research. We need to figure out what's going on in your body. And then an even greater storm came because a few months later they said, Barb, you're not going to make it. This is, this is going to take you. And she told Becky, I think it was at a women's retreat, she pulled Becky aside and she said, with a voice that only Barb could do and say, I've showed these people how to live and now I'm going to show them how to die. Wow. How do you get that? tenacity, even in the face of that storm, I get the chance to show people how to die now. Of course, I've got a little bit of fear, but I've got a greater fear of the one that can calm my ultimate storm after death. And Barb meant it, and you know what? My father-in-law did as well. If you've been around our church long, you know that three years ago, um, my father-in-law nearly died in our living room. He had cardiac arrest. He dropped dead in our living room. By God's grace, he made it, and the paramedics got there, and he survived. And, and then we were told he's going to die, but then he survived again, and they told us, no, his, his lungs at 70-something uh, at that time, no, 80-something 80, 80 at that time, his lungs are filled with fluid. He, people just don't survive this. And then he did. The, the lungs just cleared, and he was fine. And he's had three years, though, after that event, knowing my time is short on this earth. I've, I've had this huge event, and, and my time is short, and he has relished the moments, but all of us in this family can testify to, but I saw no fear in this man. He taught us how to live before that, and for the last three years, he's been teaching us how to die well and to survive even that by having so much faith that you're not overcome by anxiety and fear. The only concerns I saw was for the family and how everybody else was going to make it, but that man did not have fear. If he had all kinds of events, he was in and out of hospitals for the last three years, but we would hear all these stories from mom about how he would share his faith with the nurses and the staff and just say, I hope you know the Lord Jesus because if something happens to me right now today and I leave, like I'm good. I'm forgiven of all my sins and I know him, he rose from the dead. I mean, he just was constantly telling people about the Lord because he met the Lord in the storm. I did too. The first time he almost died, one of the things I learned is if it's not your time, you're not leaving. <laughs> you can have your lungs filled up with fluid. You can like drop dead. I mean, he was dead on our floor and you're just not going anywhere. And the other thing I've learned is when, you're, when it's your time, you are going. This is, you don't have the power over life and death. You don't. Third question. Jesus has this great calming. It says a great, they have a great storm, a great calm, and then a great fear. And then this third question and final question, who then is this that even the sea and wind obey him? The disciples were in awe because a man woke up from a nap in the back of a boat and without invoking another name or deity, he just calmed the storm. 
And these men then go on to live lives that are examples and testimonies to us because Peter and later Paul, of course, but all these other disciples, nearly all of them died for their faith later, martyrs' deaths. Why? Because they'd met Jesus in the, in the most intense storm there and they saw his power and then they see him later in the ultimate test when he dies and rises from the dead And in that storm, they see such awe, such great awe and fear that they no longer really fear death. These men that are terrified in a boat later face the ultimate test because Jesus has shown him their power, his power. Storms are inevitable. Sickness, death, divorce, betrayal, Parenting, disappointment, failure, we hurt, we suffer, we go through trials. And at times it feels with all of our heart that the Lord is asleep in the back of our boat. And he doesn't care. And we cry, and we pray, and we journal, and we yell, and we sing. And the silence is deafening at times. And at times the Lord chooses not to calm our storm. And that's hard. And as we prepare for Good Friday and Easter, though, I, wanna, I want you to see the storm that Jesus ultimately faced. There's, there's a time when Jesus goes through a storm where the wind is howling and the clouds are dark and the rain is fierce and, and the whole sky turns blood red and dark. And then he quotes from Psalm 22. The ultimate fulfillment of that psalm, when Jesus Christ, after having been in the garden the night before, and says, my God, my God, please, please, Father, let this cup pass from me. If there be any other way, if there's any other will, if there's any other means of saving your people, let this cup pass. But the Father's voice is silent. He hears nothing. And then he goes into the middle, the eye of the storm, where he is then crucified, a bloody, horrible death. You know that. But that's not, that's not his biggest problem. His problem is this, that while he's hanging on a tree and mocked and beaten and abused and scoffed and he's naked and exposed and ashamed, and in that moment, as he's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The father turns his face away from him and there's nothing. There's no encouragement from the father. My He'd heard his voice before, my son in whom I'm well pleased, but not on the cross. Silence. And not only silence, wrath and anger for sin. And as he's on the cross and as he's bleeding and he's dying, and and he did not have someone in his bedroom with their hand on his hand and singing hymns like my father-in-law did. My father-in-law passed with his family gathered around him holding his hand and singing hymns to him. Jesus did not have that. He did not have that comfort. He had the wrath of God being poured out upon him in silence as the Father turned his face away from him. And he had your sin on him. And he had your sin. He had your sin on him. He had all of your sin on him. He had your sin. Jesus Christ had your sin on him in that moment. He who had no sin became sin that you and I might become the righteousness of God of God. His gift was your sin, brokenness, shame, 
was imputed to him. It was placed on him. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was forsaken. This was not a metaphor. The father turned his face away and he poured out his wrath and anger that you and I deserved on the son so that it may never be poured out on us. And then he died alone with no comfort. And Jesus Christ was left cold in a grave, just as you will. But then he defeated death, and he defeated sin. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, destroying every rule and every authority and every power, for he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. You have a storm headed your way someday. It is death. But Jesus Christ has conquered, has even conquered that storm. He has calmed it. So you can even teach people how to die with faith and hope and joy. Friends, I've been going through a great trial. My wife has gone through an even greater trial, but we are seeing God as faithful. I want to testify to you. I want to give you, <laughs> I can't even tell you the full story, but the Lord Jesus Christ has met us in the storm and he is calming our storm by his power and his might and his grace and his mercy. He's faithful. This is not just religious exercises that we go through. The Lord Jesus Christ is real. God the Father is real. God the Son is real. God the Holy Spirit is real. Know him, love him, serve him. Come to him this morning. Come now and feast on his broken body and shed blood as we go to the table. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we invite you here right now and we thank you. We thank you for your good word. We do not deserve your presence. We do not deserve your comfort. But we we ask you to come, Lord, and meet us in our sacrament this morning in broken body and shed blood. We pray that your spirit would be among it and with us as we commune together, holy communion, as we come to you by faith, needing a fresh touch of your Holy Spirit needing to hear your voice as our storm rage, rages, Lord. Calm our storm, Father. Show yourself to be mighty. Show yourself to be power. You have authority to calm storms. Calm, calm the storm. Show us your power. And as we see you calm that storm, give us an, a greater fear that you are the one who has that authority and help that to change us, to mature us, to grow us, to walk with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.